listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to PTCE's Pharmacy Connect, a podcast focused on continuing education created by pharmacists for pharmacists. PTCE is the leader in pharmacy and managed care education. In these episodes, listeners will be presented with the most recent clinical updates and strategies for implementing into practice. And now, here's our host and founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri. Pharmacy Podcast Network, pharmacy listeners to the PTCE Pharmacy Connect. It's exciting to be back. I love the opportunity to talk with pharmacists about specific conditions, disease states, things that are affecting um, lives and the lives that you're changing as providers. This has been an absolute honor and pleasure to be working with the PTCE Pharmacy Connect team. A shout out to the team. Thank you for all of your coordination. You should see the preparation that we put into these podcasts. Please go out, subscribe, leave us a review. Mention the PTCE Pharmacy Connect specifically. So in 2022, the estimated new cases of lung cancer were over 200,000, and the estimated number of deaths were over 130,000. This surprised me. didn't even realize this. Treatment options for advanced non-small cell lung cancer uh, based on biomarker expressions and driver mutations have really changed, and the treatment paradigm and included targeted therapy, immunotherapy, and chemotherapy, these are also changing. Pharmacists are out there in the front documenting what's taking place and in combination with chemotherapy in use at first-line therapy in patients with advanced non-small cell lung cancer without driver mutation. Pharmacists have an integral role in assuring um, the appropriate testing and use of these therapies, as well as the integrating effective uh, strategies to optimize resources, utilization of immune checkpoint inhibitors, which is why we have our experts and specialists and superstars here today. We're so excited. I am going to turn this podcast over to both Latha and Paul. I want you to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background, and we're going to get started. So we're going to start with Latha. So take it away. Sure. Uh, My name is Dr. Latha Radhakrishnan, and I'm a clinical oncology pharmacist at the University of Illinois Hospital and Health Sciences System. I'm also a clinical assistant professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago College of Pharmacy. I have both experience in the outpatient setting as well as the inpatient setting, um, and I'm really excited to be here today. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Todd. It is uh, really a pleasure to be here, especially with the superstar, Dr. Radha Krishna. Um, So excited to be here and share some insights. Uh, My name is Dr. Paul Forsberg. I am the Director of Pharmacy and Compliance Officer with Minnesota Oncology. Uh, Minnesota Oncology is a community-based cancer center uh, in the Minneapolis and St. Paul metro area. So we have 11 clinics uh, scattered throughout the Twin Cities uh, region, and I oversee our infusion and specialty pharmacy services. So thanks again for having us here. Thank you both. Excited to get started. So let's jump into this. It sounds like immunotherapy options are becoming an important part of treatment of non-small cell uh, lung cancer. How is the decision used um, immune, like in the immune checkpoint inhibitors, how are those decisions made? And like what testing 
is recommended? Great question, Todd. So PDL1 testing is a NCCN category one recommendation, similar to EGFR and ALK testing. So I think the question is, well, what is PDL1 expression? It's actually a, a predictive biomarker, a response to PD1 and PDL1 antibodies in a variety of tumors, including non-small cell lung cancer, which is what we're talking about today. Uh, it is, it's detected using uh, immunohistochemistry and can be found on the tumor or on tumor infiltrating cells. Now, PDL1 testing is not perfect and it does come with its challenges. Uh, some challenges include inconsistencies with sampling, existence of multiple assays and staining platforms, uh, various scoring systems and thresholds, and discrepancies in interpretation. Uh, despite these challenges, PDL1 expression assists in identifying patients who will benefit from ICI treatment regimens. Now, we do have other emerging biomarkers such as tumor mutation burden and tumor infiltrating lymphocytes that have been studied. However, at this time, and as mentioned before, PDL1 testing is what is recommended to identify appropriate patients for ICI treatment options. Okay. Can you tell us um, a little bit more about the ICIs that are used for frontline therapies? Absolutely. Um, once we receive the PDL1 expression results, treatment is then determined by the various cutoffs. Uh, so if you have patients with a PDL1 expression of greater than or equal to 50%, this is the patient population that we can consider monotherapy with pembrolizumab or atezolizumab or semiflumab. Those are the ones that are approved at this time. An example would be administering semiflumab as monotherapy in a patient with a PDL1 expression of 50% or greater. The next cutoff is a PDL1 expression of greater than or equal to 1 to 49%. And this is the population where we really need to be administering combination treatment with ICI plus chemotherapy or IO IO therapy. Uh, some approved options for this PDL1 expression range include pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy, atezolizumab plus chemotherapy, and nivolumab plus ipilimumab. Now, the chemotherapy in this case would depend on the type of non-small cell lung cancer, whether it's squamous or non-squamous disease. Uh, and the last cutoff would be patients with a PDL1 expression of less than 1%. Um, so in this patient population, there are in fact ICI plus chemotherapy regimen combinations such as pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy that can be administered regardless of PDL1 expression. So ICIs may still be used in patients with a PDL1 expression of less than 1%. So what's exciting about these episodes is we get to dive into specific conditions, topics, treatments, and even changes in, in, in treatment modalities. And, and the pharmacists on PTCE Pharmacy Connect always bring us that next you know, the next trek, the next horizon. So what is on the, what is uh, next on the horizon for, for treatment? There's a lot next on the horizon, Todd. Um, we are eagerly awaiting approvals for ICI plus uh, chemotherapy, as well as IO-IO plus chemotherapy combinations in the front lines, or sorry, the first line setting. 
Um, if and when these combinations are approved, um, clinicians will just have more options to choose from. I think it's exciting that we'll have more options to choose from, but I also think that it'll be we'll, there will be a challenge, and we'll have to consider a lot of different things. Um, you know, side effects, um, comorbid disease states for pa you know patients, and try to make those decisions based on the data that we have available, as well as patient-specific information that we have. Um, in addition to new combination uh, options, we also have new ICIs that are being studied but are currently not FDA-approved, such as tizolizumab and sugamalumab. Um, unfortunately, scintillamab plus chemotherapy, um, which was also studied, um, unfortunately, the FDA did not approve this combination based on the Orient 11 trial. Um, Another emerging option included an ICI plus tergolimab, um, which is a monoclonal antibody that targets TIGIT. In May 2022, the interim results of the phase three skyscraper one study revealed atezolizumab plus tergolimab did not meet its co-primary endpoint of progression-free survival. Um, the other co-primary endpoint of overall survival was immature, um, and the study will continue on um, until the next planned analysis. So not exactly what we were uh, hoping for, um, but to be determined um, on that second co-primary endpoint of overall survival. So hopefully we'll see something there um, and um, that this regimen may be an option in the future. Um, I wasn't able to attend the ASCO annual meeting uh, earlier in June of this month, but looking forward to attending a Best of, best of ASCO uh, conference this summer to get some of the updates in the non-small cell lung cancer space. So we're going to shift to managed care considerations. Could you briefly describe economic considerations of non-small cell lung cancer and biomarker testing? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, you, you know, as as Letha, you know, referred to this 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 space has gotten really complicated over the last few years, and it's really important to make sure that we have the correct biomarkers being tested for prior to treatment, not just from a, a an immunotherapy standpoint, but making sure that if there is if a patient does have an actual biomarker that we're testing for it, uh, and identifying when it's appropriate for patient to be on uh, appropriate therapy. I believe the U.S. Oncology Research recently had a myelong trial in which they looked at patients who were having appropriate biomarker testing prior to treatment, and they found that uh, across the country there's a significant gap in patients not getting biomarker tested at all. And you know, I think that's just a concern is that the patients just aren't going to have the opportunity to be on the appropriate therapy because we never tested to begin with. I think when talking to people and, you know, there's a big concern with just the rising cost of cancer care and biomarker tests aren't cheap, uh, but the, the data does indicate that the PD-L1 testing and biomarker testing prior to treatment is cost effective in the non-small cell lung cancer space. And like Letha referred to, if, if we know what that patient's PD-L1 expression is, that can help us guide appropriate treatment. And again, the data does indicate that when we use that guided treatment and we use PD-L1 testing and biomarker testing, that the treatment is going to be cost effective when we're using the appropriate treatments. So it's really become an important piece of managing patients with non-small cell lung cancer. And even though it is expensive, we've, we've been able to demonstrate that it is cost effective. Paul, while I am a fan of pharmacists for the depth of your clinical knowledge, 
my heart is more impacted by the advocacy that the pharmacist plays for their patient and and the work that you put in to assuring that a patient's taken care of. And a part of that care is the world of cost. So I really want to um, kind of open up to the the, the expense, because you did kind of mention it a bit. What are you doing in your practice to help mitigate the cost of testing and treatment? Yeah, I think you, you kind of nail it on the head there that the, the costs are becoming such a huge concern and pharmacists really do play a role, a very pivotal role in helping to, to mitigate those rising costs. Uh, you know, one of the things that we try to avoid, I think, I think the most Expensive cost is really a medication that's being used inappropriately because the biomarker testing isn't isn't there to support it, or we're we're not using the correct drug because there is a, a better drug available. And so what we what we've done in our practice is we have pharmacists that are monitoring uh, any new treatment regimen that comes through for non-small cell lung cancer. They evaluate the treatment that was selected. They look at the patient's lab results and they look at those biomarker tests and they make sure that the correct treatment that was ordered matches up with the biomarker test. And if there is another treatment that'd be more appropriate or we're missing biomarkers uh, to begin with and our pharmacists reach out to the providers, make recommendations uh, and really work as a multidisciplinary team to make sure the patient's getting the, the most data-driven treatment available. And again, because we know that approach is cost-effective, we believe that that is one of the best ways to help mitigate that cost of treatment. That in combination with uh, you know, using a clinical pathway system to help drive that treatment decision from providers on the front end and having pharmacist engagement in the development and management of those clinical pathways can really help control costs and make sure that the drugs we are using are, are, are really in line with the current data uh, and in line with the appropriate biomarker testing. You know, Latha, I'd just be curious to hear, how's your team monitoring these new non-small cell lung cancer patients and what's your team doing to, to manage this cost? You know, Paul, we're doing some of the same type of monitoring that you just described. Um, once a new treatment plan is ordered, the clinical pharmacist is reviewing the EMR to ensure biomarker testing has been completed and the appropriate treatment has been ordered. Um, I will say that sometimes it's really hard to find um, the PDL1 results in our EMR. Um, there's no uh, area that it's just located, nicely located in that we just have to click something. So sometimes that's a challenge. But again, some of the same things that you all are doing at your institution. That's good to hear. I, I, you know, I know from personal experience in the past where I've identified a biomarker and noticed that we weren't using the correct treatment. Um, it, it really can impact the patient's care, not only from a cost perspective, but also just realizing like, wow, we almost missed using the, the correct medication for this patient. And so it's, it, you know, just the, it, it, it provides so many benefits to making sure that the pharmacists are upfront and being active in that treatment evaluation. I think that's a good point, Paul. I think we, you know, we know what we have to do, but sometimes these things are missed. There's so many players in this, and sometimes that PDL one is missed, and uh, you know, treatment is ordered, and if we don't check for it, um, we can miss that as well. Great, thanks, Letha. You know, another thing that we've been doing at our practice is developing a precision medicine committee to to really look at how we utilize molecular tests, how we utilize biomarker tests in the non-small cell lung cancer patient population, as well as other diseases, and make sure that we've got a good approach. Uh, you know, like you mentioned with the EHR, uh, there's a lot of challenges related to precision med um, 
you know, not just how the data comes back from the precision meds, how those reports are listed in the EHR, uh, complete lack of discrete data where we can run reports, but also just getting access to tests. You know, we found that, um, you know, patient coverage of these tests isn't uniform uh, across our payers. Uh, we've also found that the the costs of these tests vary significantly between the uh, uh, the vendors that are out there. Uh, and you know, how do we get patients into the correct assistance programs for those molecular tests? And so our precision med committee is really really focused at trying to answer some of those questions, uh, identify ways to to reduce those barriers around getting the access to tests and costs associated with tests. Because we believe if we can help streamline that process and, and improve the access, then we're just going to have uh, better biomarker testing available, better access to those biomarker tests within the EHR so that when the providers are making treatment decisions, it's right at their fingertips. And then when the pharmacist is reviewing those treatments, uh, re reviewing the, the biomarker tests, they can identify that information much quicker uh, and, and make their process more efficient of making sure that the appropriate treatment was ordered. That's been our approach. Let that be curious to hear what, what what are you guys doing to help with some of these challenges? Yeah, uh, thanks, Paul. We also at UIH have uh, recently created a precision oncology tumor board um, due to the emergence of biomarker-driven treatment options. Um, so a little bit different than a committee. This is more of a tumor board um, that consists of a multidisciplinary team um, and we're reviewing patient cases, we're looking at access to testing, um, as well as the appropriate selection of treatment. Um, so a little bit different than a committee, but we're reviewing this afterwards uh, in the sense of like, what did we miss? Um, you know, were there issues with access to uh, testing? Um, and we just had our first meeting last month and we're gonna be meeting each month and I'm really excited about this new tumor board. Yeah, that's that's a great approach. Um, you know, it, it, it's not always black and white. Like, oh, you've got this mutation, we're going to do this treatment. You know, there's a lot of times in which patient characteristics or biomarkers are in that kind of gray area or fall outside of the typical guidelines. And it, it's really great to have that multidisciplinary team to to review those patient cases and, and do an assessment. You know, I, me I mentioned this earlier, we, we, the way we utilize clinical pathways and and you know, I find that that's been really helpful uh, to make sure too that that when we are making those those selections and those decisions, that it's it's based off of the most recent evidence. Uh, and you know, if there are alternative options in place, that we can look at that from a value perspective and make sure that you know when we have alternatives, that we are using either the best outcome or the the highest value treatment when possible. Uh, you know, and again, not only are these treatments oftentimes, you know, cost effective and knowing that the immunotherapy treatment and the biomarker testing is going to be cost effective for our patients, uh, the, the, the clinical data also does show that these patient reported outcomes associated with these treatments, um, you know, are, are going to improve quality of life for patients and, and the data seems to suggest that. Uh, we know that these these immunotherapy based regimens can oftentimes be less toxic than traditional chemotherapy regimens, especially the the monotherapy treatments. We know patients are going to see that improved overall survival, progression free survival when utilizing checkpoint inhibitors, uh, and that's ultimately going to result in lower ED ED utilizations, hospital utilizations, and the costs associated with those. Uh, and so we we make sure that when we're doing that that clinical pathway evaluation and value based care setup that we're taking those considerations uh, into the equation because that 
those patient reported outcomes, you know, we're really here for the patients and making sure that we are improving quality of life is, is really critical. And, and sometimes that gets overlooked because people just see the sticker shock associated with the drug saying, wow, this drug is way more expensive than these other drugs. But then when you take into account hospitalizations, ED visits and toxicity management, it really, it, it really is a cost-effective regimen. All right. So what about other ways to, that pharmacists can help to mitigate the cost of care associated with immune checkpoint inhibitors and advanced non-small um, cell uh, lung cancer? And, and everything that goes into that, there's probably facets of treatment we don't see directly that might not have anything to do with the drug itself. But for the purpose of this podcast and education to our listening pharmacists, we want to dig into this. So Paul, can you kind of dig deeper into mitigating the total cost of care? Sure. Yeah. So we, you know, we know from some some studies that the side effect management for immunotherapy versus traditional chemotherapy treatment, it, it tends to be more cost effective, or at least the, the data implies that managing immune mediated adverse events uh, overall can be a lower cost compared to managing traditional chemotherapy costs. Um, so that's good, right? So we see that the, the management of those side effects is lower in cost. What we, what we want to do is make sure that we try to minimize those immune-related adverse events as much as possible. And so from the get-go, when patients are, are, are informed that this is the best treatment option for them and they consent to treatment, we want to make sure that we're educating those patients appropriately prior to starting treatment so that they know what to expect. They, they understand that these immune-related adverse events aren't really those traditional chemotherapy toxicities or side effects that I think people have associated with chemotherapy over the years, but that these are a different set of side effects. They're going to show up at different times. They're going to present differently than what, what they may have expected and make sure that they know what to look for. And then that way, if they know what they can look for, then they can reach out to the provider or their care team uh, immediately and notify them of those side effects. And we can get early management and mitigation of those side effects early to try to prevent them from getting to where they're significant, that would require an ED or hospitalization. Because uh, once they get to that point, then those costs are going to go up, especially if we have to use uh, a medication like infliximab or another med to help manage those, those costs. So our, our approach really is to educate them early. We, we monitor them while they're on treatment, we, the pharmacists work closely with the nursing team to make sure that they're doing assessments prior to each treatment, monitoring for those toxicities and trying to address them as quickly and early as we can to prevent them from getting significant. Letha, how about you? What's, what, what have you found at your practice to be effective in this, in this process? I agree with you, Paul. Um, education early is, is so important. Um, at our institution, clinical pharmacists are responsible for all um, first administration cancer treatment education. So the pharmacists provide verbal and written education detailing the administration schedule, IRA monitoring, and printing and completing the IO wallet cards, which are so helpful when these patients are seen at other uh, office visits outside of oncology or in the ED. They can just pull out their wallet card and show that to the provider um, with subsequent cycles, uh, the pharmacists are following up to ensure that appropriate labs are being drawn, talking to patients about any side effects that they may be experiencing um, that perhaps they didn't think to, to talk to us about early on. Um, and we also, as pharmacists, assist with that IRA management, as Paul kind of talked about, um, and we, we do this with the assistance of guidelines. 
Um, I agree with Paul, like education on IRA, IRAEs is paramount in preventing uh, ED visits and hospitalizations. And I do believe the pharmacist's role is not only to provide patient education, but also within IRA management, but also to provide education to our ED and ICU staff, because they are also managing these patients with regards to, um, you know, these toxicities. Both of that wallet card suggestion is a great one because, uh, you know, when, when patients show up to the, the ED or the hospital and the providers really aren't aware that they're even on treatment or that they're getting immunotherapy treatment, you know, the, we can see that there's, their side effects aren't going to be managed appropriately if they don't have that awareness. And, and oftentimes patients aren't, you know, fully dialed into with what they're getting and being able to just pull out that card and say, Hey, I'm on this treatment. At least that'll indicate to the, the provider that, Hey, I need to pick up the phone or do a little research on this treatment to see if I need to manage this differently. Cause that's, that's just a great point. So I'm glad you, that, that your team's involved in that. And I, I think, you know, we've seen this where the patients admitted to, you know, the ED with, you know, colitis and they're not treated with steroids because they just didn't realize that they were on an IO therapy. So We've seen this story before, unfortunately. All right. Latha and Paul, this has been awesome listening to you both talk this through and expand um, on this subject. I had no idea lung cancer is the second most common type of cancer among men and women in the United States. And it's accounting for uh, nearly 13% of all new cancer cases. Having pharmacists tuned into specific treatments for specific diseases and ongoing is so important to us. Therefore, we always come to that final uh, special question, um, which really gives our listener the key takeaway. And I'm gonna start with you, Latha. What would you say is the single most important takeaway from today's podcast? Sure. Um, as a clinical pharmacist, it's just so important that we're getting that PDL1 testing. As Paul mentioned, um, and not only getting that testing as a pharmacist reviewing, you know, what that testing was and if the appropriate treatment plan was uh, uh, appropriate treatment plan was ordered. Um, also, I think the role of the uh, oncology pharmacist is vast. It includes education um, at the initiation of treatment throughout treatment or therapy, as well as IRAE management. Um, and again, as mentioned, you know, the education is not just with the patient, but with other healthcare providers as well. What about you, Paul? What would you say for our listeners today, they should be um, taking away from today's, um, today's episode? Right, yeah, yeah, I think you, you really, you really nailed there. Pharmacists really have a great involvement in this process. and. And, and Todd, like you mentioned, unfortunately, non-small cell lung cancer is really a really common disease. Uh, you know, but you know, there's hope here where immune checkpoint inhibitors really have improved overall survival from for patients uh, compared to traditional chemotherapy. We know that this these treatments can improve quality of life um, compared to those traditional chemotherapy treatments. But you know, people get hung up on those high costs. They see this, the, the cost of that drug, and they say, this is really expensive. Why should we use this really expensive treatment? Um, but the, the, the data really there is to support that these are cost effective, uh, that these, these treatments can help improve patient quality of life and, and overall survival. And, and pharmacists really play a key role in that and ensuring appropriate biomarker testing, ensuring appropriate treatment from the get-go, providing that immune-related adverse event 
education and monitoring those patients to make sure that we are going to have the best outcomes on treatment. Because uh, there's there's really nothing more expensive than a treatment that was inappropriately ordered, wasn't a correct fit for a patient, um, or patients aren't set up for success out of the get-go and, and have an early failure. So pharmacists play really a key role in making sure that the patients get the best outcomes possible with those treatments. I agree. I love it. I love uh, the fact that you came out and said that. Um, Latha and Paul, this has been an absolute honor to be talking with you today and digging into the latest treatments um, in, in this subject matter. It's very complex and it's changing. Pharmacists, helping pharmacists and educating pharmacists is key. And it's great to be able to come together on these podcasts and discuss uh, different conditions. If you are a podcast listener, please help us educate other pharmacists by sharing this episode. And if you go to Google, put in PTCE Pharmacy Connect, it pulls up the entire library of uh, continuing education through podcasting. And um, if you're driving, jogging, doing whatever you're doing where you can just listen, pop these on and just listen to them. They're 20, 30 minutes each and great information. And like I said, Latha and Paul, thank you so much for today's um, amazing information and, and sharing. Todd, thanks for having us. And, and Latha, it was a pleasure uh, discussing this, this topic with you. So thanks so much. Thanks, Todd, for having us as well. And, and Paul, you are the superstar for this uh, podcast. <laughs> oh, that's too much. Thanks for tuning in to the PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcast. Your feedback is important to us. Please share with us your thoughts on this episode and other topics you'd like to learn about. Go to pharmacytimes.org forward slash contact and send us a message. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.